Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central. On Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday evening, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into a Sweet 16 edition of the Hawk Central Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. And I've got plenty on the docket tonight from 6 to 7 o'clock as we look ahead to the 2023-24 Iowa men's basketball season. We'll preview Iowa spring football practice, which kicked off today. And we'll pick up the pieces from Spencer Lee's loss and second place team finish for the Hawkeyes at the NCAA Wrestling Championships with Cody Goodwin later in the broadcast. But first, the flag-carrying basketball program in the state of Iowa begins tonight's proceedings. The Iowa women are the only team of six in our state to make it past the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. To dig into the Hawkeye Sweet 16 prospects in Seattle, I'm happy to welcome in our Hawkeye women's basketball writer at the Des Moines Register, Dargan Southerd. Dargan, uh, before we get into the draw ahead, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts. Uh, you know, we've done a YouTube podcast on this, but, uh, you know, the importance really uh, of Iowa getting past southeastern Louisiana, obviously but then kind of getting over that big hump on Sunday. Uh, 10th seed of Georgia, Iowa staves off the Bulldogs, 74-66. Yeah, you know, it, it, it. there really was no way around it. It was a must-win game for Iowa just for the moment. Uh, you know, what happened last year, what it said is its ultimate goal this year, which is to reach Dallas in the Final Four, which that suddenly seems a lot more plausible than it did, you know, even a few days ago. Um, but – but you know, for all that to to materialize, obviously Iowa had to to take care of business um, on Sunday. And you know, I think it's I think the way that that game unfolded, the fact that Iowa had to really grind and 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 fight for forty minutes all the way until the end um, is really what they needed. Because you know, it, if you kind of peek ahead. Um, you know, in Seattle, there's going to be a lot of these, you know, defensive minded teams that, you know, clash with Iowa style. Iowa style really clashes with just about anybody. Um, but for them to to deal with a stressful situation, come out on the other side of it, um, you know, not have Sunday be kind of celebrated as the the pinnacle of this journey. I think all that bodes well for Iowa as it heads to Seattle, where, you know, it's it's suddenly the favorite to reach the final four out of the Seattle four regional. So um, lots lots to talk about, lots uh, at stake uh, for Iowa as uh, they head out west. Absolutely. And uh, Dargan and I both get to uh, head out to Seattle tonight. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, we'll be covering it for you at Hawk Central, Des Moines Register. So stick with our coverage all weekend. Uh, as you alluded to, Dargan, uh, it helps to get a little bit of luck in the NCAA tournament. And, and that, that you know, for the men or women, and it usually doesn't happen this early on the women's side. It's very rare that top seeds go down, but we've seen two top seeds go down, including in the Hawkeyes region. So the Hawkeyes, you can't even, you can't, uh, argue it. I mean, they got some luck here. Number one seed Stanford loses. Number three seed Duke loses. Number four seed Texas loses. All four, all three host teams besides Iowa did not make it through their opening weekend. So now the Hawkeyes are the two seed and will face uh, Colorado. Six seeded Buffaloes at 6.30 p.m. Friday in Seattle. That's a central time. And Ole Miss, the eighth seed and fi- uh, the five seed Louisville will follow. So that's your sweet 16 matchups uh in seattle seattle four i should say darling because we will also be there for seattle three (laughs) 
but our focus is on Seattle four, but uh, you know, as I pointed out on DraftKings uh, in my article um, that went online uh, today, Hawkeyes are minus one seventy favorites to get out of this region. Yeah, and I mean that's that's not like the biggest favorite, but that's definitely a number where you're like, okay, that team should probably probably be the one that emerges. And that's you know if you look, that's better Final Four odds right now than UConn has. That's better Final Four odds right now than LSU has, which are the two uh leading odds in the other uh regionals outside of South Carolina. So um you know I'm not sure Lisa Bluter had on her uh, agenda this month to have to temper final four noise. Uh but that's certainly going to be the case when we get up there because um you know Iowa was already a huge storyline in the tournament with Caitlin Clark and and all it's trying to do. But now that the bracket is really opened up for them, um that that pressure on on that front and that level of distraction is going to increase tremendously because, you know, I was thinking last night, if a, if a one seed, a three seed and a four seed all lost on the first weekend in the same bracket on the men's side, it would be shocking enough, but for it to happen on the women's side, if you followed the women's game recently, that's like borderline absurd because um, you know, we, it, it just, the upsets haven't come in, in that bulk, um, you know, really up until the last couple of years. And, you know, I think that's that's a good thing. Um, you know, obviously Iowa was on the wrong side of that this year. They seem to be benefiting from it. Uh, wrong side of it last year seemed to be benefiting from it this year. Um, and so, again, you know, I, I think if knowing Lisa Bluter, I think she's going to take all the upsets that have happened and say, you know, you guys don't want to add to this list um, because, you know, as as tough as it would have been to lose Sunday um, and as tough as it will be for Iowa to not make the final four, if you had said that at the beginning of the tournament, I think it's going to be even tougher now if they don't make the final four, given what's unfolded in front of them where, you know, they won't have to face better than a five seed to reach the final four. Um, and, you know, over four games, that's, that's pretty crazy. So, um, but again, you know, the, the veteran moxie of this team has proven its worth in a lot of different areas. Um, and it's going to be tested again this week as Iowa certainly deals with questions about, you know, Hey, you know, a lot of action around you guys. How do you, how do you kind of channel all this and and make it happen? So, uh, kind of vintage March uh, twisting up the storylines before we even really get started here. So uh, it's certainly an interesting development uh, around Iowa as they've watched a lot of big teams fall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I had a question on our outline of of kind of like what caused the craziness in this bracket. And uh, it was, you know, is it parody? Was it bad seating? I mean, I, I watched both those games last night, Dargan, uh, you know, Texas, Louisville, and then Duke, uh, Colorado. And I mean, honestly, when you watch the games, it kind of looked like the, you know, the better team was lower seated. And you could even say that, I guess, for any team that wins. But, you know, and I also felt that way a little bit about Ole Miss and Stanford. I mean, Ole Miss looks like a really good defensive team. Mm-hmm. And you look at Ole Miss, an eight seed, they took South Carolina to overtime, and South Carolina is like the prohibitive <laughs> NCAA tournament favorite. So I don't know. What do you think? Is it uh, what do you think was the cause? I guess of all this mayhem, and we saw it for ourselves, did we not? I mean, against Georgia, uh, the Bulldogs gave Iowa everything it could handle. Now, obviously, Iowa had Hannah Stolke out and lost Miley Davis early in that game, 
But still, that was a tough game with a lot of momentum on Iowa's side with the crowd and everything. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of a mix of a few things. I would say probably more than anything, it's just, um, you know, the increased parity in the women's game. You've kind of seen that, um, you know, come about. Really, I feel like the last three or four tournaments um, where, you know, it's not just chalk all the way across. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's probably some some misseating that that went on as well. You know, I think well, I, I agree with you on, on Ole Miss that, you know, if that's who Iowa faces, you, you can't really pay attention to the eight next to their name because they will have beaten Stanford and Louisville and Gonzaga, three teams that, you know, range from, you know, powerhouses in the, in the sport to, you know, usually in contention for hosting spots and stuff like that. So, um, and then, you know, it was a l- little surprising to see Louisville win by the margin that they did over Texas. But again, you know, Louisville is a program that, um, you know, can kind of rise up and and go on a run. You know, it feels like just about any year. Um, and then I, I also, you know, this is a credit to to Iowa. And you say about the environment that, you know, benefited them against Georgia. I thought the opposite kind of worked against Duke last night where um, I don't know if you saw any of the crowd shots, but like behind the basket, there was like three or four sections that were just completely empty. And, you know, again, I, I know women's attendance isn't, you know, the greatest across the board, but I think it just emphasizes even more that, the home court advantage that Iowa created on Sunday and throughout the season and really throughout the time, you know, this recent elite run of success has been very valuable because it doesn't happen everywhere. And so, you know, I think Colorado, you know, there was no, there was no, I guess, noise or, or, you know, rattling that had to be overcome. Um, you know, again, this is a team, Colorado, that is kind of doing this for the first time. You know, they're in their first Sweet 16 in, tw- in 20 years, I believe. So, you know, all those little things that that maybe don't seem super significant or, or seem kind of on the peripheral during the regular season, all those stuff come into play uh, in March. And I thought the crowd obviously was a big reason why I was advancing. And, you know, I think Duke really unable to kind of create you know, an intense, uh, raucous environment, you know, certainly aided Colorado uh, last night, I would say. Yeah, it's a really good point, Doug. I mean, but you think about it. I mean, that game ended at like 1130 Eastern on a school night, you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> tough circumstances there. You know, I would get to sin- a plum Sunday afternoon home game. Now that game would have been sold out either way, but still uh, you're right. Uh, that was, that did benefit Colorado. I'm sure. Uh, let's dig into the Colorado matchup. Uh, you're listening to Hawk Central from the Dwayne Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Leistico talking Iowa women's basketball with Dargan Southern. Yeah, I looked into this Colorado team a lot uh, on Tuesday and wrote about it. Uh, obviously watching the game. I mean, they forced 21 Duke turnovers. It was a really sloppy game. You know, held the Blue, Blue Devils to... 31.7% shooting, but they're, uh, they're a team that holds uh, foes to 58 and a half points a game, Dargan, and opponents are only making 29.5% from three. This is the, you know, I, I talked to somebody who said this is a lot like facing Maryland with maybe not as quite a, maybe the, the player caliber is not quite as high as Maryland, but it's a Maryland style of team, if that makes sense. What, yeah, what, do, you, I, what do you see? Yeah, so I, I think you know if you if you look at 
last night's blueprint, you know, I, I would imagine that's exactly what Colorado wants to do um, with Iowa on the other side, as as a lot of teams like, you know, want to do when they play Iowa. They want to muck up the game. They want to, you know, get it at their pace. They want to turn Iowa over um, to the point where it becomes a detrimental element of the game. You know, obviously Iowa, the way it plays, there's some turnovers that are going to be built in. Um, but, you know, if if they can get it in that, I would say, 1920 range, somewhere in there, you know, that's that's not equated to an Iowa win very often this season. Um, and so, again, you know, the, it's interesting. This is a team that was in the Iowa City regional or in the Iowa City uh, pod, I guess you could say, last year. Um, they were the seventh seed that Creighton beat before Creighton beat Iowa. So I would imagine that, you know, at least for a little bit, um, you know, the Iowa staff had the Colorado scout um, in play and ready to use if the Buffaloes had won that game. So, you know, I was looking, it seems like there's about three starters back from that team and a couple of the key bench players are now starters. So it seems like that that the personnel is, is fairly similar to last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that, uh, you know, helps kind of reduce some of that unfamiliarity that you get this time of year. So, you know, I expect, I expect Iowa to have to, you know, kind of grind through another game. If, if, you know, it's offensive product doesn't come at the the level that it's used to, but again, you know, I think one of the things that Iowa showed on Sunday was, and, and Caitlin Clark actually said this um, on selection Sunday, when I asked her is this team now knows how to win basketball games when its quintessential product doesn't show up. You know, obviously, before anything else, Iowa wants to run and go and get in the 90s and put up a lot of points and and basically, you know, show other teams a style that they probably haven't really seen this season. But if that doesn't happen as it, as it did on Sunday, um, you know, this team has certainly uh, improved its defensive abilities, its defensive clutchness i would i would say um which definitely showed up on sunday so you know i think i think iowa is familiar in games where the team is trying to get them out of their style that they play just because the way they play is so distinct um so again you know it wouldn't surprise me if it's another game that kind of unfolds like sunday did where you know it's tight for the better part of four quarters um iowa doesn't really get that momentum snatching run that they like to use where, you know, it can push a, a five point lead to a 15 point lead. And then you can kind of ride that cushion out. Um, I think it's going to be another grueling game, another battle. Um, and, you know, I think Iowa showed that it's comfortable in that game, even though that's, you know, not necessarily how they want to play right out of the gates. Yeah. I thought uh, looking back at that Georgia game, Dargan, um, that shove at the end of the game um, on Caitlin Clark. Uh, I, I believe that that was probably calculated just because uh, of some of the comments I read afterwards, you know, uh, you know, Bluter talking about the Michigan state game, you know, that was a, a game where Iowa had it in hand with just a couple seconds left and was inbounding the ball. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. she gets the intentional foul on that, uh, you know, just a little bit of a retaliation move. I mean, I think it was kind of like the second, you know, the second person always gets caught, you know? So, uh, so nothing against her necessarily, but that was a moment where she maybe, uh, you know, should have just, you know, 
would have liked to have it over. Let's put it that way. And she, she did that on Sunday. I mean, she, she just went into the bed. She kind of smiled and, and let it happen. And I think that was the only way Georgia was going to win is to rattle was to rattle Caitlin or something like that at the end. So uh, she had a pretty funny quote after about uh, Kate Martin, you know, she let just let her kind of be the enforcer uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. for her uh, going forward. So uh, nice, uh, uh, nice piece of maturity on her part. And it kind of gets into the theme garden that you just talked about that. I think these, these teams that are coming up are just going to try to rattle Caitlin Clark and, Heck, if Iowa makes it to the final four, they're going to meet South Carolina more than likely. And you can imagine <laughs> the attention she's going to get from that defense. But we won't talk about that yet. Uh, let's, you know, Quay Miller, I thought, uh, stood out to me for Colorado. Um, you know, she's she's averaging 13.1 points, 8, 7, 8.7 boards uh, per game. I think she had 17 and 14 last night against Duke. Uh, they have a, they have two big girls in the middle Uh very effective in there. Uh, Aronette uh, Vonley, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, their second leading scorer. So getting Hannah Stolke back is going to be really big, in my opinion, for this game. Uh, any other keys to the game? And uh, and we'll take it out. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely the case. You know, it's rare to see a team start two players that are listed as a true center on their roster, which I believe is the case for Colorado. Um, so I think... I think getting Hannah Stolke back to a productive level is almost imperative because we saw, you know, I guess if there's one slight you could have on this Iowa team, it's that, you know, behind Hannah Stolke, the the interior depth uh, kind of drops off a bit, you know, between Addison O'Grady and, um, you know, she was the first one off the bench uh, on Sunday. So, you know, I, it seems like Stolke's going to be back and, you know, I, you know, I don't know how – much to up to full strength she can get between now and Friday. But um, I think having reinforcements there to where Sonano, Monica Sonano doesn't necessarily have to brush up against 40 minutes um, in the game is key because um, again, it's, it's going to be kind of the, the same relentless uh, clutter in the post that Iowa dealt with. So um you know, it'll be interesting to see what the what the update is on Stolke uh, when we get to Seattle. Yeah, I mean, Bluter indicated that she would be okay, and same with Molly Davis, so that's good news. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, we'll talk to Hannah on Thursday and just kind of see where she's at, and we'll post that at Hawk Central. Uh, Dargan, last question. Uh, you know, let's say the Hawkeyes beat Colorado. Uh, Hawkeye fans tuning in, uh, you know, on ESPN on, on Friday night, they're going to want to watch Ole Miss Louisville and, and see who wins that and see who Iowa's facing. If you were a Hawkeye fan and were rooting for an opponent to face, which who do you want to face out of those two, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I, I still think I'm probably going to go with Ole Miss just because um, more than anything, I, I think Louisville, you know, I think Iowa's experience advantage is going to pay a big dividends in this tournament. But you look at Louisville, um, that's a program that is used to competing for national titles, competing for ACC titles, competing for number one seeds. Um, You know, the coach there, Jeff Walls, has been there a while and has kind of had this run going. So, you know, even though they're a five seed and even though – you know, the regular season maybe didn't go as smoothly as, as past ones have. Um, 
you know, this is this is a moment and a, a point that that program is familiar with. And I think that showed um, in the way that they dominated Texas um, on Texas's home floor. So, you know, again, this is Ole Miss's first Sweet 16 appearance. And I can't remember what the what the box said on the on the graphic, but it's been a while. Um, and Ole Miss really is kind of going through all this with with house money a little bit. Um, but is going through it for the first time, you know, at this level. So um, for that reason, I would probably pick Ole Miss. But I think either way, it's going to be a game where, you know, Iowa's not it's it's not going to be a comfortable game for Iowa um, for most of the way. I, I think you're going to see I think, you know, if Iowa gets to to Sunday, I think you're going to see two games that largely looked like Sunday did just in terms of the flow of the game and the tense energy of the game uh, kind of being there all the way through. Yeah. And that's where uh, if Caitlin Clark is on from three, then, uh, you know, Iowa's not going to lose. <laughs> no, <laughs> she can I extend w- those zones. So uh, you always got her in your hip pocket if you're a Hawkeye fans, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Having the best player on the floor uh, is usually a good thing and can fix a lot of problems quickly. Exactly. All right. Thank you, Dargan. Coming up next, I'll be joined by my registered teammate, Kennington Smith. We'll move past the disappointment of the Auburn loss and move ahead to the 2023-24 roster. We'll also preview spring football and the dawn of the Cade McNamara era. And also some wrestling later. All that and more next here on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Hawk Central Radio continues here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Leistico here of the Des Moines Register. And now happy to be joined on this busy week by Kennington Smith, who also covers the Hawkeyes like I do for the Register uh, and is based in Iowa City. Kennington, thank you for holding down the fort this week uh, in Iowa City with the Iowa football program. Uh, We will get to basketball conversations soon. But uh, first of all, thank you for that. And uh, how are you? And lastly, Pro Day was Monday. I missed it. So what did we learn on Pro Day? Yeah, um... All's well here in Iowa City. Pro Day was a good experience to be able to talk to the players. It seemed like a lot of them really just focused on the positional drills, at least the ones that went to the combine and put up high marks. The the Jack Campbells, the Sam Laportas, Kayvon Merriweather did a few drills, but mainly, mainly focused on positional drills. But um, you know, I was really interested in getting a chance to talk to players like Seth Benson, for example, who is an all-Big Ten performer but missed out on a combine invite. So this was his opportunity to get in front of NFL teams and show what he can do. Um, a lot of players were meeting with teams afterwards, um, you know, Riley Moss and Lucas Van Ness couldn't make availability because they had so many meetings lined up with NFL teams right after their workout. So high-level interest in this year's group of Iowa players. All 32 teams were there represented. So um, I think the draft is going to be really interesting. I think there's a potential for a good amount of players to get selected. Yeah, uh, I do think Benson will make a team, um, even if he's not on the 46-man roster on game days or whatever. I think uh, his special team prowess just – seems like a guy that seems like a, a quintessential pro day story um i feel like uh it'll be interesting to see how what his career involves because he was a really really good player at iowa um kennington kirk ferentz met the media earlier today full disclosure we are recording this uh before i fly out to seattle uh, earlier on wednesday so we don't have we will address what he said later so, uh, but we wanted to talk about spring football storylines. They're practicing for the first time today. Thought it'd be fun to just pick a couple each and talk about them. So uh, I'll let you go first. Uh, what what is highest on your mind 
when it comes to what Iowa needs to accomplish in spring football? Yeah, I think that um, I'm going to go with the defensive side of the ball first. I think that developing depth in the back seven is going to be so crucial to this season. Obviously, linebacker is a position of interest when you think about what Iowa's lost in the last year, but also the all-American level of play that Phil Parker has enjoyed in that position for several years. When you think about, you know, Jack Campbell, Seth Vincent, Justin Jacobs, and then before then with Josie Jewell, like who is going to be the next one of that group to step up and be that. Obviously, Nick Jackson is coming in the summer, but who's going to emerge alongside Jay Higgins in the spring, I think is really huge. And then in the secondary, I mean, I don't know if there's a position that can afford attrition more than that. You saw what happened in the Nebraska game when Cooper DeGene went down. Who is going to be kind of like those next guys to step up behind the front line starters and provide depth at both cornerback and safety is, is something that I'm going to be looking for. I'll go on offense here, and uh, maybe not the position you think I'm going to go. I'm going to go offensive tackle. And you think, I think we need to learn this spring if Dejon Parker is the guy at right tackle or is it left tackle, whatever. Uh, does Iowa have solutions at tackle? Because we think Mason Richmond, you know, looks like a guy uh, that's that's going to be productive. Um, you know, made some progress last year. Probably was Iowa's best lineman last year. Uh, doesn't mean he was perfect, but uh, you know, is Dejon Parker the guy that they brought in with you know from the portal? You know, Saginaw Valley State. You know, is he the answer there, or do they need to actually look in the portal again by the end of spring practice in May, or is there another developed guy uh, that really emerges at tackle? I think we really got to figure out, um, you know, as a media, and then the Iowa football program has to find out. Who their guy is? Who's who are their guys at tackle? And obviously, you need more than two, but obviously, you need uh, two top shelf guys. So that's what I want to learn uh, out of spring ball. You know, when this ends on April twenty second. All right, your turn again, buddy. All right. Well, I'm going to go offense this time since I led with defense, and I'm looking at the skill positions. Who is going to emerge within that group? Obviously, Nico Ragaini is back, the, the veteran in the room, and there are high expectations with Seth Anderson, but who else in that wide receiver room can take a step forward? Can Deontay, can Deontay Vine stay healthy this spring and, and take a step forward? He's somebody I know that the program is high on. Can Jacob Bostic take a step forward after kind of being held back from injuries during his freshman year? I think Terrell Washington Jr., early enrollee, is somebody who is an interesting piece when you think about what he can do in the running back room and potentially in the receiving room as a pass catcher option. He was committed to Purdue under the air raid and Jeff Brom, so you know that he has pass catching ability. And in the running back room, you know, what improvements can Caleb Johnson make? Is Jazzy and Patterson going to take a step forward? Where does LaShawn Williams fit into, into the mix as well? So obviously that's a, a position where there are a lot of question marks, probably not as much depth there as the coaches would like. So I wouldn't be surprised if I would go back into the portal after spring practice to add some more bodies. But I think that especially what happened last spring with the amount of injuries and how difficult it was for those for that group to take a step forward, I think a healthy spring and a productive spring is going to be so critical for that group going into the summer. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, health was a real big issue last spring. This team has to be healthier this spring. And then, like you said, uh, you know, how bad is it at wide receiver or how good is it at wide receiver? You know, I think that's what we got to figure out by the end of spring to know how badly Iowa needs to go back into the portal uh, at that position uh, in May. I think we feel pretty good about running back at this point, but, uh, you know, you never know with injuries and whatnot. Uh, obviously, the last thing probably on my list, I mean, there's lots of things on my list, but I'll pick 
pick one more as the final one is just what is going on with the offense. You know, who's, you know, uh, what changes are made with the offense? Because we we know that they, you know, went through another program reboot of sorts. You know, they're bringing in Cade McNamara, uh, valuing his input, uh, valuing uh, John Budmeyer's input uh, considerably. You know, what does the Brian Ferentz offense 2023 look like? I'll just be curious more in the interviews, kind of what clues we get. I don't know if we'll see much on the field whenever we get an open glimpse of practice or the spring game, whatnot. But obviously that is a storyline we'll be monitoring from now until week one, week two, week three. Um, you know, the quest for 25 points as well. But uh, anyway, uh, obviously that's a the huge spring story. And, uh, you know, keeping Cade McNamara on the right track to health-wise is going to be huge all right you're listening to hawks central from the Dwayne register and kxno this is chad leistico talking iowa football and now basketball with kennington smith kennington we discussed the hawkeyes season ending loss to auburn 83 to 75 in our postgame podcast on youtube that seems like ages ago now um but uh, one thing we talked about on there um and i'll even throw jordan bohannon into this conversation as well you know you go through uh Seven years of the Bohannon, Luca Garza, Joe Wieskamp, Keegan Murray, Chris Murray era, and you net only two NCAA tournament wins in those seven years. That's over Cincinnati in 2019 um, when Iowa was a 10 seed, and then over a 15th seeded Grand Canyon in 2021. That is it on the NCAA tournament production resume. So I guess from that sense, you know, as we look back on this era, um, which seems to be kind of at an end here. Uh, it's hard not to feel like this was kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah, 100%. I think that it you the Fran does deserve some credit for the talent that he's developed and what those players accomplished at Iowa and the fact that all of them are playing professionally in America, Chris, likely going to the draft. But then you think about having all of that talent and not getting to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And it does kind of very much feel like a, if not with those group of players, we're talking about some of the most accomplished and some of the best players that have ever come through Iowa. If you can do it with that group, where's the confidence that you could do it with the next group or how is, you know, Frank going to kind of rechange the, the program to continue to push forward, to continue to try to compete in the big 10 and in the NCAA tournament. So there were some highlight moments, obviously the, the tournament championship last season was a big one, but you all, you also kind of have to wonder if you're a fan, like what could have been or what should have been with, with this group and how much more they could have accomplished. Yeah, that's uh, it's going to be a very interesting dynamic as we head into year 14 of Fran McCaffrey. Um, just seeing the, and it's not like one can be popular in one camp, but just seeing the unbelievable popularity of Iowa women's basketball, it just feels like we're almost transitioning into a stage, Cannington, where the Benz team um, is more of an afterthought. And that's unbelievable to, to think about. You know, um, considering, you know, the prominence of this program for decades and decades and decades, you know, Ludolf and Tom Davis, Ralph Miller, uh, George Raveling, you know, even even the Steve Alford years where they won two Big Ten championships. But uh, it's just going to be interesting to see next year, Kennington, is it not? I mean, uh, I've, I so I wrote an article um, as, as we're going to talk about now, kind of looking ahead to the 2000. 23 24 roster um got to get those years right um 
And I said, it's looking like a rebuilding year. And then I had some pushback and I understand it totally. I'm not arguing with it that this past year was supposed to be the big rebuilding year um, with, with some people's contention. And then I would even take it a step further and say two years ago with Keegan, like that was actually, <laughs> that was supposed to be a rebuilding year and Iowa went and won the conference tournament. So I can't get it straight. Which year is the rebuilding year? Why don't you uh, square it away for me? Yeah, I think, was this year supposed to be a rebuilding year? I, I think that people did think that Iowa was going to be as good as they were last year, but Chris Murray was an all-first-team Big Ten player. Is Iowa going to have any all-first-team Big Ten players next year? Looking at the roster they have right now, like are the, are the expectations not going to be lower for this upcoming team than this past year's team? So that's an interesting idea. I never really looked at it as a rebuilding year. I thought they were right. a tournament team, and they made the tournament. Um, I don't think anybody looked at them as a Sweet 16 contender, but what they accomplished was pretty much what the expectations were, I think. So that's that's interesting. I would have to disagree with that. But, um, you know, going into next year, obviously it's going to be a rebuilding year because Fran has to retool the roster. I mean, he, there's going to be a lot of movement, I think, within the the basketball program. They definitely need to retool their front court. They're losing, you know, three starters in the front court. Um, think that you obviously have to go out and try to seek a guard, um, even if you feel good about DeSante Bowen maybe taking a step forward in the second year, and we'll see what happens with you know Aaron Hughes and Tony Furk is kind of what happens next with them. But you feel like you need to go get a guard, um, and having players like you know Patrick McCaffrey needs to take a step forward, Payne Stafford obviously needs to take a step forward as well. Big responsibility for both of those. So there's a lot more question marks, I think going into next season than there were going into this season, in my opinion. Right. And I think the conversation is, you know, should the expectations be higher in year 14? But I would also flip that. I can see both sides. And, uh, you know, not trying to be wishy-washy here, but I mean, you also have to appreciate in a way that, uh, you know, Iowa had five straight NCAA tournament teams. You know, they didn't have a tournament during the COVID year. um, So that kind of boxed Iowa out of that. But no coach has done that at Iowa since Lute Olson uh, in the 70s. So uh, you have to give Fran that nod. And I like the recruiting class they got coming in. Um, let's break down the 12 scholarship players that, you know, at least as of now, will be on the team next year. Um, they've got three seniors, Perkins, Ulyss, and Patrick McCaffrey, three juniors. That would be Peyton Sanford, Riley Mulvey, and Josh Gundale. I think Sanford is that guy that could be a first-team All-Big Tenner especially with the volume of shots he's going to get next year. I feel like he might end up averaging close to 20. Uh, two sophomores, that would obviously be DeSante Bowen and Josh Dix. And then four freshmen coming in, Kennington, Brock Harding, Price Sanford, uh, Laggy, Dembele, and, of course, Owen Freeman, uh, Freeman and Harding teammates at Moline. You know, Fran um, you know, targeting some, some big men in the portal. They need probably two. <laughs> you just wonder, you know, if there's some healthy attrition, shall we say, um, I, I don't know. I might, I might be past the point where I feel like Mulvey and Agundale are going to be long-term contributors. Doesn't mean they won't be. But the point where I want to go, Kennington, is at the guards. They've got five guys that conceivably handle the point. Uh, Bowen, Euless, Perkins, Josh Dix, and Brock Harding, right? I mean, any one of them could end up being the point guard next year. And uh, I, to me, as I wrote, I think it's – it's time to see what Bowen can do. You, you've, you've seen the flashes of his skill. Um, that's kind of where I'm thinking this this ship is going. I think Bowen, as the point guard, is probably the best-case scenario for Iowa. 
Yeah, I'd agree. And that's somebody who came in with a lot of high expectations this upcoming season. I mean, the probably the biggest storyline going into this year um, was Aaron Euless or DeSante Bowen for the starting point guard spot. So if Bowen can take that sec- that next step, that second year leap, and be that explosive, scoring, aggressive guard, that could you know bode well for Iowa's chances next season. I mean, we've heard it throughout, especially this tournament run that it's all about guard play that's something that's very prevalent in college basketball Iowa's guard play was not up to the level that it needs to be to be a sweet 16 level team if Bowen can kind of add that explosive dynamic with alongside Tony Perkins then you really feel good about that backcourt and I think that you you know of Bowen Perkins Sanford McCaffrey insert big men here mm-hmm. lineup. Um, I think that that would inspire some confidence in the fans, especially if they see that Bowen is kind of taking that that step forward. So he is one of the more critical pieces to this equation. And I'm really interested to see what happens next with him. I thought that he, you know, he only played a few minutes against Auburn, but I thought, you know, right. he was aggressive, pushed the pace well. I thought that he did some good things in that first half. I would have liked to have seen him. In, in the second half. So I think that even though it was a very small step size, that was a good omen and hopefully a confidence builder for him going into the offseason. Only got about a minute and a half left here, but yeah, uh, there's some smoke with uh, Evan Bronze, the big man from Belmont, uh, you know, averaged, I think, seven, eight points a game, potentially coming to Iowa. Um, he's six foot nine, uh, former Iowa City West teammate of Patrick McCaffrey. I just think you got to shoot a little bit higher and go for, you really got to get a big, you know, a big man that can run the floor and play. 34 really dominant minutes. Uh, you're, you're losing Philip Robracha, not to mention Chris Murray. Um, I think there's an opportunity here for Fran McCaffrey to hit the portal. I'll give you 20 seconds here, Kennington, to, to finish this up on the basketball conversation. Um, Iowa cannot have the offseason in the portal that they had last season and this season. I think that's the, the main takeaway that I have and the best way that I could put it in a limited amount of time. <laughs> Perfectly put, my friend. Uh, thanks for holding down the fort back here, and I'll, I'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good. Have fun out there in uh, Seattle. Thank you, Kennington Smith. Coming up next, we'll bring in Cody Goodwin to peel off the Spencer Lee Band-Aid and discuss the contentious commitment of Anthony Ferrari to the Iowa Wrestling Program. You're listening to Hawks Central on 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Lystico here of the Des Moines Register. Let's finish up with some wrestling talk. And for that, we bring in Register wrestling guru Cody Goodwin. Uh, Iowa had a pretty good tournament overall, I would say, Cody. Uh, Murin, Brands, Warner kind of wrestle above their seed. Hawkeyes finished second in the team race, but obviously this tournament, you know, is still, I mean, I'm still remembered most for the Spencer Lee loss in the semifinals to Matt Ramos. I guess just uh, take us into your head when you saw what happened uh, with Spencer into that arena. Uh, just kind of a crazy moment at that time, was it not? Um, yeah, man. Like, I'm still, there's still a part of me that's still maybe processing it a little bit just because, you know, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of Iowa fans, if they were maybe being honest with themselves, that was not the semifinal they were hoping Spencer would have. Um, you know, and the 125-pound bracket pretty well fell apart on the first day. But for the most part, the top seeds held. Um, you know, Spencer was obviously the one. Matt Ramos was the four. That's the natural semifinal. But Ramos is super explosive. We saw it when they wrestled earlier this year that 
you know, Ramos took Spencer down not once but twice, um, you know, nearly pinned him in the dual meet. And Spencer obviously came back to, to win that match before the first period had ended. So, you know, I think there was a little bit like, okay, like Spencer's probably got to be on his A game. But, you know, then you think about all his other past March performances and it's like, yeah, like he'll, you know, he, he tends to figure this out, right? Even when he's not at his best. Um, and it just didn't work out this time. Um, so, yeah, that was. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of ginormous losses. I've seen a lot of big upsets before in the sport of wrestling, as you do, because it's just, you know, nobody leaves this game unscathed. It's outside of Kale Sanderson, but um, never really felt a loss like that. And I use that word intentionally felt because um, it was that was there was a really there was a different feeling in that building um, after Ramos um, ultimately secured the win. So fair or not, um, you know, I, I think you nailed it. Iowa, I thought wrestled really, really well. Um, over the weekend in a second place finish, but you know, fair or not, I, I, there's a lot of people that are going to remember that national tournament um, because of Spencer's loss, which you know I think kind of speaks to the magnitude of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Real Woods does continue the uh, finalist streak for Iowa that uh, I think dates to 1990, correct? So uh, that's still intact, but he did not uh, get to the top of the stand either. Also, kind of a uh, flurry of a flurry of a moment there where he lost. Lost that 141-pound uh, final, but uh, you got into you wrote a really great mailbag, Cody, and I want to point our our listeners to that uh, at hawkcentral.com, DeMoinRegister.com. Really, kind of framing uh, this championship, um, whether you should be disappointed or you know happy with a second place finish for the team, but also you know kind of putting Spencer Lee's legacy into perspective at Iowa. You know, he ends a three-time champion. Um, what are there seven or eight at Iowa, right? Um, and uh, you know, how will, how do you think Spencer will be remembered, um, you know, at Iowa? I think he'll be remembered as one of the most dynamic college wrestlers we've ever seen. Um, arguably the most dynamic college wrestler we've ever seen. He, you know, 98 and six career record. He finished with 84 career bonus point wins. He was three time big 10 wrestler of the year. He won two Hodge trophies. Um, he made college wrestling a lot more fun um, just by being in it. Um, he was also, you know, maybe one of the most watched and I would argue one of the most scrutinized wrestlers ever, um, you know, because I think about, you know, there's been a lot of fantastic wrestlers that have come through college wrestling and, and especially the Iowa wrestling program. But name another one that sent people into a frenzy if they looked at all human, um, you know, that's that's a lot of pressure. Right. And Spencer facing that kind of pressure before he even set foot on campus. Um, that's a hard thing. And, you know, he didn't win four NCAA titles, but I would argue he still more or less delivered on virtually every single sky high expectation um, that was placed on him. Um, I know it didn't end the way he wanted it to. I know it didn't end the way that a lot of people hoped that it would. But, um, you know, he was still, you know, one of the best college wrestlers I've ever seen. You know, I know at 100 percent health, he might be the best wrestler on the planet at 125 pounds or 57 kilograms. Um, I don't know that we ever saw fully 100% healthy Spencer Lee during his Iowa career, which kind of speaks to how remarkable, you know, a lot of the things he was able to do, right? Like he was still able to, you know, you know, three-time NCAA champ, three-time Big Ten wrestler of the year. He won three Big Ten titles, two Hodge trophies. He won a senior men's freestyle national title as well. Um, you know, I think people kind of forget about that because of how 2020 ended. Um, you know, he was kind of the face of an Iowa program that, very much resurged, um, you know, this, that 2019, 2020, and, and then the 2021 season, those were some of the best Iowa wrestling teams 
you know, in recent history and, you know, who knows how that 2020 season ends up if they're able to get to the national tournament that year, because that was, it was teed up perfect for a fully healthy Hawkeye lineup to just take Minnesota by storm. So, um, you know, I, I think his legacy is secure. He's one of the most competitive human beings I think I've ever met. And, you know, at least from my perspective, and I hope so many others, I don't know that, you know, the way it ended will change how I feel about him, how I viewed about him. And I just, I hope when we see him again, um, that he's healthy and that yeah. he, you know, continues to have the same amount of fun rustling as he, as he showed this season. Cause he looked like he had a lot of fun all the way up until, you know, that Friday at the NCAA tournament. Um, and that was really, really cool to see here in his last season at Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, well said. Uh, you know, I think back to, you know, we weren't, we weren't alive when, uh, Dan Gable, um, you know, had his, uh, his one single loss in college, but uh, obviously he went on to do a lot of amazing things after college, and uh, his legacy, uh, you know, became different um, in the state of Iowa after that. So I, I'm really hopeful, like you are, that um, you know Spencer has a, f- a freestyle career ahead of him if that's what he wants. I think that is what he wants, and uh, it'll be fun to see him, like you said, uh, hopefully fully healthy at some point. All right, uh, Cody, let's look ahead to. 2023-24 as quick as we can we got about four minutes left so we'll be brief uh hawkeyes pick up a, a really interesting commitment uh from anthony ferrari uh the brother of aj ferrari former ncaa champion at oklahoma state uh you wrote a really well-balanced story i thought uh in the paper uh, about this commitment and uh, i'll let you speak here for a couple minutes on the significance of it and kind of the contentiousness of this commitment as you kind of wrote in your lead yeah, I wrote a. It, it, I, I wrote it as a contentious commitment because the the Ferrari family um, inspires some polarizing um, reactions. I would argue. Um, I think everybody knows AJ Ferrari. Um, you know, he was a true freshman at Oklahoma State, won an NCAA title in 2021 at, at 197 pounds, a grown man's weight. Um, very much took the college wrestling world by storm. Um, you know, and he has since been dismissed from Oklahoma State. He's facing some. Um, you know, various off the mat issues, um, you know, I, <laughs> he's, he, Significant yeah, it, issues, I, he's facing, yeah. yeah, like he's, you know, a sexual battery charge that is still very, the charges are still pending. Um, you know, and, and Anthony has faced his fair share of off the mat issues as well. He's got, you know, two misdemeanor assault and battery charges filed against him. Those are still pending. Both of those are in the state of Oklahoma. Um, so I, you know, I think it's, Based on what I've heard and seen, um, Anthony Ferrari is the first commitment of what could be two and possibly three. There are three brothers in that family. They're all exceptional wrestlers. AJ is the oldest. Anthony is the middle. And then Angelo is the youngest, who um, is still a junior in high school. All exceptional wrestlers, but you can't ignore the two um, oldest brothers and their off-the-mat issues that they're dealing with right now. And so um, this seems like it's a little bit of a bet. Um, by Tom Brands on these guys that maybe he can, you know, bring them to Iowa City and straighten them out a little bit. And, and if, that, if that bet pays off, it could pay dividends for Iowa wrestling down the line because these are guys that, you know, can absolutely make a difference on the NCAA scene. AJ's obviously shown what he can do. Um, Anthony hasn't wrestled a college match yet, but he has, you know, he was a very credentialed recruit coming out of high school. He was part of the 2022 um, senior high school class. So, um, you know, kind of a gap year, I guess you could call this between, you know, he was originally committed to Oklahoma State, but never enrolled there. And then Angelo's a top five pound for pound prospect in the current senior class or the current junior class, excuse me. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of talent in these three brothers, um, you know, so I guess we'll see one, if all three of them end up coming to Iowa City and two, if they do, 
um, you know, kind of what, what ultimately happens, right? This is a series of high risk, high reward moves by Iowa coach Tom Brands. And um, I think maybe he deserves a little bit of benefit of the doubt um, just by the way he's handled, you know, wrestlers previously, whether it's, you know, recruiting mercurial talents or dismissing other guys for issues that they may have had off the mat or, um, you know, or even I think you mentioned before we hit record here, you know, bringing in Austin DeSanto, who didn't quite have the same baggage as the Ferrari family, but he was a guy that was definitely viewed as kind of a quote unquote bad boy in college wrestling. And, you know, I, I would argue that Tom did a fantastic job with a guy like Austin DeSanto, um, you know, turned him into a three-time All-American and he was a fan favorite for the Hawkeyes. So, um, you know, not, not so much on what next year's lineup might look like, but obviously this Ferrari commitment, um, is going to dominate conversation when it comes to Iowa wrestling, um, you know, probably for the, for the next little while, I would argue. Yeah. So it's, it's really intriguing and I, you know, we'll see what happens. Great, great synopsis there. We've only got about 30 seconds left. When does your lineup projection run? I want to point folks to that. Um, well, hey, we're recording this Wednesday morning. So, you know, I know we, we've got some behind the scenes issues going on with our publishing system right now, but I'm hopeful to have it out at some point, you know, today, hopefully a little afternoon. All right. So uh, take a look for that at hawkcentral.com. And thanks, Cody, for, for awesome wrestling coverage all year, buddy. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me, Chad. All right. Uh, we will have to have a deeper podcast down the road to maybe look at uh, the full 2023-24 Iowa lineup, but, but uh, check out Cody's coverage. And stay tuned to our on-site coverage from Seattle from me and Dargan Southern as the Iowa women try to reach their first Final Four since 1993. We'll talk about it all next Wednesday right here on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO.